listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Good morning, church. Welcome to the first part of our brand new series called Asking for a Friend. If you have anything to take notes with, go ahead and pull that out right now all over the room. Uh, How many of y'all know last week was Easter? And I just want to say thank you to the worship team, the, the ushers, greeters, tech people, kids people. You guys did a great job, and I have some pretty cool stats to, uh, to report to you. Now, numbers only tell part of the story, but they do tell part of it. And so last week, we had 428 people on this campus. That is a record for in-person. Huge deal. And then, this is the big one. I want you to get loud about this. We had 17 people give their lives to Jesus on Easter Sunday. That is so cool. And, and so thank you for all of the hard work and effort that you put into all of it. It was an amazing day. I had you that day uh, fill out our response card, which uh, is a pretty handy thing for a pastor. Gives me a little bit of insight to where everybody's at. And uh, chiefly, on the back, I had you fill out what you wanted to hear about, what was interesting to you, what you're dealing with. And, and I got to tell you, as a shepherd, that insight is priceless because I want to deal with the things that you're dealing with. I'm going to talk about stuff that actually applies into your life. I was actually very surprised that number two, and that's what we talked about, today, the number two issue was stress and anxiety. Like, Pastor Joe, I'm going through it. There's new stuff, new variables. I'm facing things in my life that are stressful in this world. And Lord, I need your help. So Father, Manny, right here, right here, finally, coin check. Okay, Father, I need your help. And, 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 and we, we go through stressful uh, uh, situations, and, and so I was amazed that it was up there. It was number two out of everything that we were dealing with, and so today we're going to deal with it in a very direct way. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Philippians. A couple of stats I found out this week. Uh, the first one is this. Studies show that personal stress worldwide is at a near record level. It's almost as high as it was during World War II. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, this was eye-opening. Uh, suicide has now passed car crashes as the number one injury death in America. People are stressed. People are feeling anxiety and pressure on their life, perhaps like never before. Uh, I looked up what the top seven stressors were as, as they were reported. Uh, here they are in order. Maybe these line up with your life. Uh, the first one is job. That, that's the number one stressor for a lot of people. Uh, The second one is related to it. It's money. Like, I got to have that job to have that money. It's the only reason why I keep on showing up there. And and number three is health. Uh, Then you have relationship, poor diet, media overload. And I believe that. That was not on the list 10, 12 years ago, but it's where your phone keeps on coming up with those notifications, notifications. And it's just like, I need to get back with the whoever. And they texted me. And they can not only text, they can Facebook message. They can call me. they 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 can do all kinds of different ways to get a hold of me. And, and, and I got to keep up with all, and it's media overload. Uh, number seven is lack of sleep. And I put this one as like a number eight on the list. I think it applies. Parking at New Chapel, which, which maybe, maybe you resonate with that. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And he wrote it in a Roman jail cell in the great palace of the Caesar of Rome. He was going there to speak with Caesar, and they imprisoned him. When I say that he wrote it, he didn't really write it. He dictated it to his closest disciple. And his arms would have been bound at a beam above his head. We believe to know exactly the, the area that he was in. It still exists in antiquity, and, or from antiquity. And so he would have been in what we would think of as a septic tank today. All of the... Um, uh, the, the toilet fixtures, they they landed down there in that prison. And so scholars and theologians will tell us that actually the level of all of that goo was probably chest deep inside of that prison. And, And that is an amazing truth. Once you read the book, you'll realize why the theme of Philippians is God's joy through anything and through everything. It's a pretty amazing thing. In fact, for those of you that like extra homework, it's a 20, 25 minute read tops if you're a slow reader. 
and it would be incredible for you in your walk with him. But the Apostle Paul is writing this. I'm going to start reading in verse 7, Philippians 4 and verse 7. Scripture says this, if you do these things, if you do these things, remember that big deal. If you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Uh, another translation, maybe my favorite one, New King James, it calls this the peace that passes understanding. So like life's happening and you're going through things and yet you have peace. You say, well, pastor, how would I ever know that I have that? You keep trekking with God in especially some of the things that we're going to talk about today. You'll get to a spot where something could be happening in your life and it makes no sense that you would have peace, especially in the natural. And yet you'll have a quiet resolve about you knowing that God has got your back. And I hear an amen church. Now, I like how it says there that he will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest. Anybody else besides me need that active in your walk with God? Just sometimes your thoughts can just run out of control. Your heart gets so loaded down with the world. I mean, I like to trek with the news, but if you trek with so much of that stuff, it just it's kind of like, oh my gosh, it's all over. It's all happened. How are we going to do anything? And, and you watch some of the news stories that we hear about gunmen opening fire and, and, and wild things happening in public school. It's a war zone, everybody. Is there any place in America more dangerous than a public school? So we, we, we hear these reports, and it blows our mind, and we think, God, and, 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 and what God says is this. If you do these things, if you, if you watch what I'm saying here, listen. You'll have a quiet resolve in your thought life and in your heart. You'll have peace, friend. And that's, that's what we need. Amen? Now, there's 7,000 promises in the Bible, but for every promise, there is a precept. And put it this way, there's a condition. There's, there's a vote that we have whether we're going to experience it or not. It's not automatic. And so with these 7,000 promises, I mean, God has us to take a step, our part to play. It's by grace. It's, it's a free gift. But yet we have to be faithful to take that step that he calls us to. It's a conditional blessing. Think of God's blessing like an umbrella. You can be right under, uh, underneath it or you can go outside of it. And so it's a conditional thing. And in Philippians, in the fourth chapter, it actually gives every Christian the key to eliminating stress and to eliminating anxiety in your life so you can experience God's resolve and God's peace. Let me tell you what you don't need. You don't need a self-help message. Let me help you with that. In fact, you should never buy a self-help book because if you could help yourself, you done would have done it already. Self-help doesn't work. What do we need? We need God's answers about whatever we're going through. And I'm happy to tell you that Jesus devoted a large part of his Sermon on the Mount when he's preaching the Beatitudes. He, he devoted a large part of it to dealing with this very subject today. And so, what things, Pastor Joe? It says, if you do these things, what things? That's the subject of this whole sermon. Number one, we're going to jump right in. Maybe you want to bring something out, take notes with. I would encourage you. You can pop your phone up. You're not going to offend me. Take a picture of some of these. How do I deal with stress, Pastor? Decide today to refuse to worry about anything and everything. Well, Pastor Joe, what if we get a bad report about it? No, no, don't, don't worry about anything. And don't, don't, don't worry about everything. Philippians 4, 6 says it this way. Never worry about anything. There's no wiggle room there. I'm a guy that likes like, okay, here's the subclause B of that. Like, if this happened, it would be appropriate. It's saying, it's saying never anything. Those are absolute words. Yeah. And what if I got a big bill? Never anything. What if, what if my spouse died? Never anything. It's almost savage in the way that it comes across, but, but there's not exceptions. There's not exemptions to this. This is something that's built in for the life of the born-again Christian. It's something for all of us. The word worry in, in, in its origins, and it's actually found in an old English term, it means to strangle or to choke you. And I think that is very emblematic, very symbolic in many ways of what it does. When you go into sessions of worry or seasons of worry, you are choking the life out of yourself. Um, worry is a pretty significant thing. Now, Jesus, 
he addressed it in his Sermon on the Mount. So underneath my point one, I'm going to give you a typical Pastor Joe. I'm going to give you the four things that Jesus actually said about worry and, uh, and dive into that passage a little bit. So here's some thoughts about worry. The first one is this. Worry is not reasonable. Write that down. Have you found that to be true? It's not reasonable. It's illogical. It's irrational. Uh, Matthew 6, this is Jesus, our Savior, speaking. He says, Therefore I say to you, Christian, do not worry. Like just as much as a commandment of thou shalt not steal, this is just on the same level. Jesus Christ says, don't do it. Do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on it. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? We exaggerate it because it's not reasonable. We worry about things that really don't even make sense. You know, I was talking with my buddy Tom, and he, he grew up in Africa, and he talks about real poverty that they face there. I have, as long as I've been around, never seen somebody so poor that they're buck naked walking downtown Grand Rapids. I've never seen it. I've seen it maybe naked for other reasons, but that's a whole other story and sermon. But, 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 but the idea is that in this world, we don't see those type of things, but we exaggerate the worst thing in our life, don't we? You get a bill in your life, you're like, we're going to be broke. We're going to lose everything. I'm going to have to be bankrupt. I'm going to be naked on the streets. And it's like, really, is that going to play out that way? Is that how it's going to, is that, we exaggerate it. Maybe it's somebody that mentions something to you they saw or heard or something that they noted about your life, a little problem. And you get away from them and you can spin that yarn out of control where you can have it exaggerated into a massive thing. Worry doesn't work. I found that to be true as well. If the goal is, if the goal is to change whatever's wrong, and you're worrying about it. If you can't change it, and you know that you can't change it, what's worry going to do? You can't change it. And how about this one? If you can change it, why worry about it? Get up off your blessed assurance and go change it, right? Like, it does nothing. It's not the currency of how God wants to meet our needs. Second thing is this. Worry is not natural. Did you know that? Oh, Pastor Joe, I'm just naturally a worrier. I'm a worrywart from the beginning. No, you're not. Somebody taught you to do it. Might have been your parents or grandparents, a mentor in your life. You learned how to pick that thing up. And, and, and in the, that same way, uh, uh, not being a born warrior, because it's unnatural, it's also negative for your health because it's unnatural. In fact, doctors have said this. A lot of people could leave the hospital today if they knew how to get rid of guilt, resentment, and worry. Don't you believe that? In fact, Proverbs 14 says it plainly. It's not in my notes, but... A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. And so worry doesn't just not do anything, but it also kind of produces some negativity. Third thing, I write this one down. Worry is not helpful. Worry is not helpful. Uh, Matthew 6, 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I wish. So why do you worry? This little Italian over here, I'd be six feet tall, everybody, if I could just add an inch or so every time I had a little worry session. God's not going to take five inches off my waistline because I worried so good. Does that make sense? It doesn't help you. It doesn't feed into it. All it does is make today awful. It doesn't change the past and whatever you're messed up about. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the future, at least in a positive way. In fact, we just, we just talked about how it could actually affect your future in a negative way, especially health-wise. All it does is make today kind of suck. Can a preacher say that at church? I mean, y'all say, don't look at me like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You say it in your common life. That's what worry does. It puts a patina on your everyday life. And then the fourth thing about worry is this. Worry is not necessary. It's not necessary. If God carries uh, so much, uh, cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? Oh, you of little faith. I like how it follows it up with that. And, and this is Jesus' typical style. We feel like we're the victim of worry. And in many ways, you are. But the truth is this. The commandment is, do not worry. And so savage, brazen, Jesus comes along and he says, oh, you of little faith. In other words, hey, have faith in me. I want to I meet those needs. So the worry is, it's not necessary. God made you. God saved you. Listen to me, Christian. God put his spirit in you. Don't you think that he wants to meet your needs and, and according to his riches and his glory by Christ Jesus? Say amen, somebody. Give the, give the Lord some praise. Come on, somebody. That's a big deal, huge deal. And so the first step for you to be free from anxiety and stress and this worry on your life 
is for you to get rid of that worry because it's unreasonable, unnatural, unhelpful, and it's unnecessary. I like how 1 Peter 5 says it. The Bible says this, unload all of your worries on God since he is looking after you. You know that word unload in the Greek, you know what it means? Unload! (laughs) Don't look so deep. That's what it means. It means that you can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Wow, that's a huge deal. So here's the practical point I want to give. This is all part of point number one, classic Pastor Joe. Refuse to worry about anything and everything. Here's the practical. You got to live one day at a time. You know that whole passage that Jesus was, was speaking about? You know how it ends? He says, he says something like this. Sufficient for the day is the trouble therein. In other words, there's this good news. There's trouble waiting for you tomorrow. There's some trouble you got to deal with today. Why are you worried about all that stuff? Bent out of shape. Sufficient for the day is the trouble there. Let's just deal with it as it comes up. Do everything that we can do. Pray to God. Trust God. Through it all, live one day at a time. That's... That's number one. That's the biggest one. The rest of them will go very quickly. Here we go. Number two, how do I deal with stress and anxiety, Pastor Joe? Number two, talk to God about everything. Talk to him. Talk to God. So don't panic. Pray. Don't worry. Worship. Don't talk to yourself. How many of y'all, you kind of like me, you talk to yourself a little bit? Yeah. I, sometimes I'm alone in my car and I'm talking to myself talking about things. How about this one? When you like had a confrontation with somebody, you're talking about what you should have said, right? I should have told her this. She came over to Easter at my house. She's going to be talking like that. This is my house. It's like, like you're, you're just talking to yourself. And, and instead of talking to yourself about the worries of life, especially once you learn to talk to God, That'll be actually what will work out some of the issues that we deal with. We need to learn to trust him and to talk to him. That'll help you take ground. Philippians 4 and verse 6, the Bible says this. Never worry about anything, part B of that scripture. Instead, in every situation, let God know what you need in your prayers and in your requests. Here's what I found is this, and I've lived this way for a long time. I'm glad that I'm over it is that when we don't take our problems, our issues, our requests to God, you are living, even if you're born again, you're saved, washed in the blood, you are living like a de facto atheist. Practically speaking, you are acting like an atheist. You're acting like you don't have a heavenly father. There's no such thing as Jesus. You're some sort of spiritual orphan that God isn't going to come through for you. That's how you act when you don't take it to God. Well, I just don't want to burden him. Listen, God is not burdened by your prayer requests. The reality is this. When you don't bring the prayer request to him, it's, in essence, acting like God cannot be trusted. It's really what you're saying. I believe that he can be trusted with every minute detail. Well, I don't want to bring him some small potatoes. I'm going to wait and bring him some big thing. Okay. He's God. It's all small stuff to him that you're dealing with. Does not blow his mind. Oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm upset about this or what this person said about me. I don't want to bring it to you. you know, That's no big deal. Or if you've got a massive thing, we're facing bankruptcy. That's no big deal. God wants to hear about it all. He's God. They're all small problems, and he wants to hold your hand through all of it. This is what it says in Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, 32. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he who gave us Christ also give us everything else we need? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course. If he's not going to spare Jesus, why would he hold back something that you need in your life, a request that you bring to him? Our God is loving and kind and gentle, and he loves you. He wants to help you in your everyday life. So yeah, the big things... Like, oh, my financial life, but also the small things. God wants to help you to close the deal or to make the sale or to, to ask about relationship things or health things, even all the way up to like, God, how do I raise teenagers, which might be the most scary prayer to pray in Jesus' name. Here's the practical thing with number two. We, we pray to God about everything. Why? You remember the fact that he cares. 
Isn't it easy to forget that he cares about you? The Bible says that he's numbered the hair on your head. For some of you, an easy task. <laughs> but, <laughs> don't give yourself away. <laughs> he cares about you. Uh, I need to move on. Number three, how do we deal with stress, anxiety in our life? You can thank God in all things. The scriptures tell us to thank God in all things, express our gratitude. Now, it doesn't say to thank God for everything. Did you know that? So there's some things you shouldn't thank God for. If somebody dies prematurely, it's an awful thing. You don't need to thank God for that. Or if somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, you don't say, well, I thank you, God, for cancer. God doesn't have any cancer to give you. Is there any cancer in heaven? You read about heaven, have any illness or sickness, and how did Jesus tell us to pray? Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has no cancer to give you. What about somebody that's going through bankruptcy, who's having to go to bankruptcy court, losing everything? You don't have to thank God for that. He didn't give that to that person. In fact, here's the great dividing line of the Bible, John 10, 10. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, he doesn't even have a shadow in that world of, of negativity and evil that comes on this world. And so you don't have to thank God for everything, but you do. You are commanded to thank God in everything in the bankruptcy, in the bad diagnosis, in the lonely moments of your life, you can say, God, I am grateful. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm here, that I'm alive. And God, I thank you that you have more for me. Philippians 4, 6, the Bible says this. When you ask God for what you need, we're encouraged to do that. Also thank him for what he's done. Why? You cannot be unhappy and grateful at the same time, you're going to have to choose. But if you might not be happy about everything and how it's going, but you can express gratitude, and it can actually transition your emotional life over into feeling happy just because you're grateful about things. Well, Pastor, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Let me give you an easy one, okay? You weren't born in Russia. If you don't know Jesus, if you're just like coming in here, you're an atheist. You don't even believe in God. Express gratitude for something. You're, you're an American. Thank God. In fact, how about that one? Not this, that you're not Russian. You are an American. Hey, we got problems, everybody. You know that? But we are still that shining city on a hill. And we are the apex of government, which is the republic. Okay? We are, we are a shining city on the hills of this whole world. And so you can be grateful for that. If you're born again, how about this? If everything else is falling apart, if everybody that you love dies, you can still say, I'm born again. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. He died in my spot. God, you're for me. Who can be against me? There is gratitude that we need to be able to express. And here's what it does. When you express gratitude, studies from secular scientists show us that it raises your immunities. It raises your health and happiness. It's one of the uh, remedies for depression, psychologists would tell you. Always ask and always ask God with a heart of gratitude. Now, here's what I've learned. Life is not so linear. I've said that phrase before. It's the best way that I can like Picture it in my own mind. Let me tell you what I mean by that. At your worst day that you were ever going through, the worst news that you ever had, right? Low moment. It's not that everything was bad. There might have been a lot of good, even though that, that thing was the anchor. It was, it was pulling you down. There were other things that were good. And, and conversely, think of the best day of your life, the day you got married or the day you graduated or, or got the big promotion or were, were acknowledged, how, however that looks. When you were having the best day of your life, there were still some things that you could work on. And so we have to realize that. If you're in a good spot in your life, there's always something that you can work on. And if you're in a bad spot, the low spot, doesn't mean that everything is wrong. It means that there is a big thing that's stealing the show. We can still be grateful. Say amen, somebody. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. In, in, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ for you. Every once in a while, I'll have a young person come up, those 20-somethings, and they'll say, well, Pastor Joe, what's God's will for my life? Give thanks. All right, I'm looking for more, Pastor Joe. What's, what else do you got? Let me tell you something. 
Some of that stuff that you want in the great by and by, if you'd be grateful for what God is doing and has done, you'll draw some of that stuff out of the peripheral of your life into it through gratitude. It's the will of God for you. Honestly, sincerely, it will help. What's the practical point? Yes, we thank God in all things, but really it's a resolve. Remember, what Jesus did, it's enough for me. You might not have the answer to your prayer that you need, that God needs to come through right now. But you have to realize, even when it does come through, it's because of what Jesus already did. That what Jesus did is enough for me in my life. I can't forget it. And so, worry about nothing. Talk to God about everything. Thank God in all things. Number four, how do I deal with stress and anxiety? Number four, we can think about the right things. Take a picture of that. That's a big deal. Write that down. We can think about right things, and, and there are things you should be thinking about and some things you shouldn't. Many, in the sound of my voice, your thought life is literally whatever goes through there. It's like, it's like a highway. Whatever drives through, that's what you're thinking about at that moment. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, I'm just trying to be open-minded. You're like my friends in California. You're so open-minded, your brain done fell out your head. Like, I, like <laughs> You don't need to think about everything you're thinking about. You can actually choose what you think about. And the Bible actually in this chapter gives us a litmus test about the things you should be thinking about. Here's the eight tests of whether or not you should be thinking about it all. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Now, Last service, I almost brought up the example of a phone, but listen, it's so personal to you that I know that if I started preaching about this, y'all be coming up to the front at the altars like that old school church. You'd put your phone down, break it with a hammer, and we'd all have a big old snotty mess down here, and we'd all be free and delivered because if I was the enemy, I'd put something in your pocket to distract you. But let's just go on TV. Who are the heroes on TV? Almost in this order are zombies, vampires, Serial killers, uh, drug addict doctors. <laughs> These are the heroes that we have on TV, right? And so you're a pretty decent person, right? Like, you, you're all right. You'd never, you'd never invite a serial killer into your house like Dexter. You'd never invite him in and be like, hey, let's just talk. Tell me about the worst one you ever did. And yet you stream that junk into your house and you discount the effect it has on your soul. You think you can get away with it, but friend, listen to me. Mind pollution needs to be controlled. You say, well, Pastor, it's just for fun. I'm just watching something, and it's fun. It's just entertainment. Lighten up. Aren't we the cool church? Listen, I saw a meme recently that said, make pastors geeky again. I never left, okay? Just telling you. <laughs> I want to show you why this isn't just fun and games. Proverbs 14 and verse 9. The Bible says, fools make fun of sin. They make fun of it. I'm just watching to have some fun, have some entertainment. Listen to me. Bible says that fools make fun of sin. Is the Bible calling me a fool? Yeah, but it's not calling you names. It's telling you this. You're being fooled, Christian. You think you can handle that stuff. And the reality is the further that you go with God, the more you'll find out you don't have the temperance for it anymore. I used to be that cool pastor, and I like to watch like thriller movies, still love to watch them. You know what movies I like to watch? is The ones with Liam Neeson. Because somebody done ticked off Liam Neeson. That's the whole arc of the story, and we're going to see how it plays out. Let me just help you. Liam Neeson's going to win. I love it. It's so exciting. But I'll tell you, some of those horror movies... I can't watch it anymore. Some of it is my progression in God. Some of it's the fact that I have kids now. You know, Kai used to be, oh, Joe, turn that off. It's awful. Now it comes on. I have four kids. I'm like, oh, that's awful. Now we need to watch something pleasant. You know, like I've, I've gotten so soft. But, but you discount. You discount the effect it has on you. You think you can take some of the things. How many of y'all, you've wanted to watch a movie that used to be a staple movie, but you haven't really watched it since you accepted Christ. You invited people over. You're watching that movie. You're like, oh, my gosh. This is the most rancid thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't believe we're doing this. And, and you're embarrassed about Why? You've grown out of it. Keep that going. Don't go back to Egypt and glorify the works of the flesh because it is whack-a-mole. I'm not saying that you'll become Dexter, God forbid, but it'll show up in other ways. Other compromises that seem reasonable will show up. And so 
y'all got pretty quiet in this Presbyterian church, but I have a license to do this. Garbage in, garbage out. Protect your mind. Just like with other contaminants that are in the world, like, like chemicals, you got to guard that. you got to guard your mind. Ask yourself before you read or watch or listen to it, is it true, noble, just, etc.? True, noble, good report. Is it that way or am I, am I feeding into the thing that makes me look just like my enemy? If you want real resolve in your life, you're going to have to move your focus, not just from the worldly stuff. You'll have to focus on God. Isaiah 26, the Bible says this. We want peace. We want no more stress, right? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, God, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If your thought life was fixed on the thoughts that God has, you wouldn't have the stress and anxiety that you might be plagued with. That, that relationship with him is a huge deal. Uh, I like how it says it, um, I like how it says it also uh, in, uh, in Philippians 4. I'll read that in just a second. But, but, but the idea is this. What you think about determines how stressed you're going to be in your life. Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so also is he. Here's the big takeaway. My life is shaped by your thoughts. Where you're at today, the job that you're in, the relationships that you have, how your kids even are treating you with respect or with dishonor, it's, it's a result of decisions that you've made in the past because of what you were thinking about. Now, it works in the positive as well. You're going to land in a great spot when you begin to think God's thoughts. You put your, your thought life through those eight tests when you begin to reject the negativity in this world and begin to fix your life, fix the, the focus of your family on God and his goodness. Okay, i got to move on. How do you deal with stress and anxiety? Number five, we can trust God for good things. You can trust him for good things. We live in an age today that is fairly untrusting about almost anything. We're kind of, hit me once, shame on you, hit me twice, you're dead to me. Like that's kind of our philosophy, right? We're untrusting of a lot of organizations and institutions and, and groups of people. And so we're, we're a little bit more guarded, I think, than maybe even 30, 50 years ago. And in that, it's in, it's in stark contrast to how some of our Bible heroes were. The Apostle Paul, again, in that book of Philippians, way early on, you should read it, he's, um, he's kind of pining about what he should do. I think it's cool that he was uh, not able to write the book, but he was only able to dictate it because his disciple kind of gave us a thought stream. And in that thought stream, he's, he's like, should I die? Is, it, am I, is this it? Or should I live? And he's playing tennis in his head back and forth of whether or not, and he lands on this, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Question, what do you do with a guy like that? You got him in prison up to his chest in, in sewage, and he's like, I'm good. I'll either get to him and I'll preach the message or I'm going to go on to heaven. It's your move. I'm good. And, and he's resolved, this is what God wants for you. That's why, it's, that's why it says it's the will of God for you that you get to a spot of resolve so much so in your life, you know that God has good things for you. But even if the prayer doesn't get answered in the way that you want in the here and now and the immediate, you know, what's the worst going to happen? I'm going to die and go to heaven. That's, that's the threat of a Christian. I'm going to kill you, Christian. Okay, I'm going to die and go to heaven. What's next? You know, I mean, you might make it a little rough for me on the way there, but I'm good. That's the resolve God wants to build in his church. Can I hear an amen, somebody? This is what he says in Philippians 4.19. You need to memorize this. If any of us had a Christian heritage, this was on your grandma's refrigerator as a magnet. You need a tattoo this on your arm. I mean, I mean that figuratively, Hunter. But, but this is what it says in Philippians 4. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We try to define need. God says, ah, don't worry about your need. I'm going to meet it according to my riches and glory. That's how I solve problems. I'm not a less than God. I'm an over and abundant God. That's what he has for us. And yet, I still see people who strive. They strive to achieve. They strive to prove that they are somebody. 
And I'll tell you, nobody had approval addiction worse than me. I had to show somebody. I remember as a teenager, I was the drum major, and I was the, the, the director of the school plays. I was the president of the student body, drama, debate, quiz bowl, forensics. I was on the Fremont Area Foundation deciding where grant money went, millions of dollars of grant money. I was on the city council in an unelected spot deciding, making major decisions for our sesquicentennial event, all while I was 16, 17 years old. You think, well, that's pretty impressive. No, I was showing to anybody, anybody that really was resolved, this kid's trying to prove that he is somebody. I didn't know that. I had the worst self-image in the world. And so I'm trying to prove to everybody because I wasn't affirmed as a young person that I am somebody. I'm not poor. I'm not, I'm not neglected. I'm not going to be ignored. And all of that insecurity makes us, makes us buck up with bravado and we need to go towards achievement and we need to go towards accolades and we need to have another notch in our belt. And that is the very reason why some of you parents trouble your kids or feed into your kids on having them be in a hundred different activities at public school. Listen to me. Stop trying to prove you are somebody as a parent by making your kid go be in every activity. You're doing them no favors. You say, well, Pastor Joe, they want to do it. Then listen to a person who did it wrong and say, what in them needs to be validated? What in them do I need to feed and tell them you are somebody? You have to do all those different things. Well, Pastor Joe, we're, we're trying to fight to get that scholarship. God never called you to get your kids a scholarship. He called you to raise godly kids, well-adjusted kids. That can go. That's why we're dealing with some of the mess that we are, everybody. Well, what should we do, Pastor Joe? Be homeschooled like you? Uh, yes. That's a great idea. Well, I can't do it. We both have to work. Okay. I would, if I had that same scenario, A, I'd find a way because I'm me. But that's just me. Okay. B, plan B, you can do one thing. Do it in the fall. If you want to do a different, another thing, you can do it in the spring. I'm going to be riding you all over this town to every practice, shelling out thousands of dollars while me and my wife become like uh, distant strangers to one another, while I don't know my kids, while I can't invest in them. We still sit around that table. We still sing songs to one another. We still tell stories. Guys, don't buy the medicine in the world that says it's more and more and more is better and have your kids show. Your, your kid having to show that they are somebody, there it is for a scholarship. That are smart, take negative thing I'm talking about. And I'm not against the scholarship. And I love those hotshot kids that are smart and taking all those classes. Tell you what, let me just go off from sports for a second because y'all look like you're going to kill me when I leave this service. But let's go on to AP classes. Is that really the thing that's going to change them as a teenager? Well, they get college credit. Great. I Listen, I'm educated. I believe in education. Schooling, that's a whole other sermon. But I have that pigskin up on that wall. Wonderful. If your young person should go to college, they're called by God to do it, go do it. If they're not, if they're called to be in the trades or in the ministry, you better obey God in whatever they're supposed to do and then realize you serve God who meets all of your needs according to his riches and glory, not by scholarship. And if the scholarship comes and that's the way God uses it, great. And if God doesn't use it, great. But that is not going to be the determining factor in whether your young person turns out well. Somebody's got to say this stuff, everybody, because we're all acting like it's a good thing to work our kids to the bone. You didn't do that when you were young. Amen. And we had moderate results on how that turned out, everybody. So <laughs> we're killing our young people with a performance trap, and it's a bunch of junk. Not in my notes today, but it's a good word. We need to learn to be content in all things. Do you know how many people in their 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, and teenager I've been with at this altar, and they say, my dad's never said he's proud of me. My dad's never said he loves me. So I did, and I did, and I did, and I'm trying to show that. Stop doing this to your kids. Some of y'all need to halt everything, and when this service is over, go grab your kids and be like, I love you, I'm proud of you, you are enough. If you don't do any of that crap, it's great by me. Let's have dinner together again. Ecclesiastes 4, it's better to only have a little with peace of mind than to be running your kid to a soccer practice. 
Soccer, by the way, I have no problem with soccer, except that I don't, I'm not interested in it. But soccer has no regard for Sunday mornings. They practice those games and, and traveling games, stuff like that. that. I have no problem against basketball or any other sport. Your kids should be engaged in an in, in, in active life. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But it's that it can't be all-consuming. Wow. So it's better to have a little with a peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the win, trying to get that scholarship. Who cares? Let me tell you something. It might be very expensive if your kid is indeed called to college and you've got to pay a little bit more, they're paying a little bit more, whatever arrangement. It's not your responsibility to pay anything, by the way. But if, if they're going there and you want to help, it might be very costly. Do you know what's more expensive? Is that you work them to the bone. They have no character to speak of. They got the scholarship. They might have even got through school, but you have to bail them out of jail. Or you end up raising your grandkids. I'm not casting shade on anybody. Families come in all sorts. But listen to me. God has a better way. There's some things that we need to go back to. Gosh, i got to get off the soapbox, but it felt so good. Okay. <laughs> when are you going to stop tr- striving and, and trying to achieve to prove that you are something? You're going to stop doing that when you actually trust God. What builds trust? Nothing motivates like results. Predictability is a byproduct of, of having that confidence in your life. The reason why many people have no peace, let me read it for you out of Psalm 9. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Like, I'm good. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't need to know all the details, but I know God. And he's never forsaken those people that have sought him out. How about this one? The reason why many people have no peace, I can read it for you out of the book of Job. Pretty simple. Job 22, brother Job says this, Obey God and be at peace with him. This is the way to happiness. You say, well, Pastor Joe, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I still have some anxiety and some stress. Then find that area where you're not obeying God and you're not at peace with him, that area that you're holding back, that area that might, might be that little whack-a-mole that, that popped up and you didn't even know about. Find that and deal with it. And if you're in this place and you're not a born-again Christian, you want happiness, friend, you'll never be truly happy in a deep and visceral and lasting and eternal way without a relationship with your God. Say amen, somebody. Peace of mind comes from ending the war of the worries in your mind. Here's the practical thing, then i got to press on. Trust is born out of relationship with Jesus. You want that confidence. You need to have predictability. It's from having that relationship that you can trust and count on in your everyday life. And the closer that you get to him, the more peace that you'll have. It's a worry about nothing. Talk to God about everything. Thank God in all things. Think about the right things and trust God for good things. You say, Pastor Joe, that's a great list. I believe all of it. It's just really hard sometimes. Anybody want to join me and say, like, I believe it. It's just hard sometimes. In the same chapter, God doesn't leave us without recourse. None of those things are easy, but God wants to help us with even that. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 6 and then jump to verse 13. He says, be anxious for nothing. Pause. Everybody look at me. Let that be an anthem in your life. That's the title of this message. I'm going to die on that hill. I'm anxious for nothing. I am not going to let this destroy my peace. I'm not going to let this issue that I'm facing destroy my happiness. I am anxious for For nothing. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. So even though that list of things is hard to do, he says, great, I'm going to help you even to do the list. I am in you. Do you see it? I am with you. I'm going to strengthen you to do all things. How did it start? If you do these things, you'll experience the peace of God in your life. God doesn't expect you to do it on your own. He wants relationship with you for you to rely on him. And so, last point, and I want us to pray, with God's help, we can overcome stress. And write it down, let's be anxious for nothing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my church. God, I thank you for a message that will change lives and change families. 
Lord, I pray for my people right now who, as I'm preaching about some of these negative influences, they got that little check. They know they got to make a change. Pray, God, that they wouldn't condemn themselves or shame themselves. But, God, they would allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to empower them to make the change, to take that step. God, there's changes we need to make because we discount what it does to our soul, that loss of peace, that loss of resolve. I know, God, that in the sound of my voice, there are people who are going through it. They are in anxious situations. Sometimes they're facing situations that are right in their face. God, I pray that you'd give them the peace that passes all understanding, that it would quiet their hearts today, that, God, they'd work the plan. At the end of it all, they can say that they trusted the Lord and they experienced his peace. God, I know that there's people in the sound of my voice that don't know you. They heard a message and they're encouraged by it. They even agree with it. Their lives aren't right with God. Help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for one more minute. I just want to talk to you for a second. How you doing? Is your life, is your life right with God? Whatever that even means. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we call Jesus Lord over our life, the Bible says that we're saved. That's eternity in heaven, yes, but it's that peace that you're looking for today, friend. So if you came in here and you feel like you're at war with God, the only way to have that peace is through his only son, Jesus. We're going to pray in a second. If you mean it, you'll be saved. If you say it as some religious act, you'll leave here having said some sort of poetry, I suppose. But if you mean it, you give your heart to Christ, you'll be saved, and that peace you need can guard your heart. Let's all pray this prayer. In fact, Christians, I want you to pray it as a declaration of your faith and in support of those people who are saying it for the very first time. Pray it loud and proud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hallelujah. Awesome. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you accepted Christ, the reason why we're cheering is because we know what that did in our walk with God. Changed everything. And I'm not going to embarrass you and call you down to the front or anything like that, but if you could fill out that connection card we mentioned earlier in the service, it would mean the world. And here's why. It's to help you. We want to send you a note in the mail so when you wake up on Monday, you know what's coming up. God has big things for you the least of which is to fill out that card. Let somebody know. If you came with somebody and they accepted Christ Day, encourage them to fill out that connection card. You can leave it on your seat, in the drop boxes, over at guest services. Just make sure it stays, and we'll make sure that note reaches that person. Uh, I do want to say this. God has a next step, and today's a very significant day. If you accepted Christ, or if you're a Christian in this place who's never been baptized, the Bible says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And so today we're going to be offering this opportunity for those of you that have never been baptized to come down into this old horse trough that we've painted black. And for the first time in like eight years, it is warm. I can testify to that. Balmy warm in Jesus' name. Yeah. Now, here's what I want to do is if you accepted Christ, this would be a great moment for you. But first, I want to speak to the men in the room. If you're a man in the sound of my voice, and you know God, whether you accepted him today or whether you became a Christian a long time ago, but you've never been water baptized, I want you to show everybody that you wear the pants in your family, that you're the leader of the home, that you're the anchor of that household, God's man for the hour. I want you to show everybody, if you've never been water baptized and you're a man, I want you to stand to your feet right now in this room. Go ahead, stand to your feet. Your wife and kids know, everybody. Go, and, go, go ahead and see. You've never been water baptized. You're a man. Stand up on your feet. Be the leader of your home.
I'm waiting for the first dude. You say, Pastor Joe, this is awkward. I've been waiting for this all week, friend. Will there be a man that says, I want to be water baptized? Never been water baptized before. Just going to let it linger. Nobody wants to make eye contact with me right now. That's fine. I'm going to look at you. boy. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Man wants to lead his home. Proud of you. God will reward you for that. Is there any women, men, anybody in the sound of my voice, and today's the day you want to be water baptized, go and stand up on your feet right now all over the room. If you came, you want to be water baptized, even if you signed up to do it beforehand. Proud of you. Let's give it up for us. See it right over there. Great job. Anybody else? Anybody else? I like to let it linger for a little bit. Now, let me say this. To those three people... I'm going to have you go out these doors. Jeremy, could you wave at me real big? Everybody look over there. See Jeremy, wave. That's where you're going, and you're going right now. Those people that stood up, stand up. Go over there. Follow him. Let's give it up for him as they walk out. Proud of you. Here's what we have. We have underwear and shirts and shorts and whatever an FHP is. We have all of that stuff. We've got blow dryers and hairspray and everything that you would need. In fact, you might look better after you leave New Chapel, having been baptized. And so if any of you are like, man, I should have done this, if you just go to our bathrooms, our normal bathrooms, you'll see where all the stuff is. You can grab that stuff. And also, if you're a family member that came here ready to watch the baptisms, I'm so excited that you're here. We're going to dismiss in just a second, get everybody on to the rest of their weekend. When that happens, if you just want to come and migrate to this area, this is where we're going to be baptizing. If you're a family member and you want to be there with everybody else uh, and, and be close, you're not going to upset me if you come around that horse trough. It's, it's a horse trough from Quality Farm and Fleet, everybody. Like, this isn't the baptism font. That's a different church. And so, so jump right there next to it. You can help me to baptize your loved one. Can we just one more time, those that accepted Christ and those that were baptized. Awesome. Stand up on your feet, gang. Hey, on Mother's Day, so not next week, but the following week, my beautiful wife, Kaya, is going to be preaching the message. That's going to be great. In fact, babe, why don't you come up here? Yeah, Awesome. And then also, Kaya is, um, she's going to be preaching that day, but we're also going to be leading our child dedication. So if you've never dedicated your young person to the Lord, you can sign up at guest services or over at Kids, and we would love to uh, have you be a part of that ceremony on Mother's Day itself. Uh, we're going to pray and dismiss you, and then uh, if you have Conversationville, like go out to the lobby if you want to stay and celebrate. So like go team people, this would be a great thing for you. Everybody come on down, and we can celebrate these people as they get baptized. Do you all want to raise your hand for the blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, I'll see you guys next week.